everybody and welcome back to Building Better Basketball. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager for Basketball Australia. Really happy today to have Peter Eddy on the podcast. Peter first became involved in sport coaching and administration as a 16-year-old club volunteer, later joining the association subcommittee, then finally the Ballarat Basketball Board of Directors before being its chairman for 10 years. Sport administration and management quickly became a passion which still burned strongly for Peter today. After two years away in the 1980s, he returned in a professional employment role, firstly on a contract and then in a full-time role as the CEO. Peter's been involved in several local and state community volunteer board roles over the past 20 years and now sits on the Ballarat City Council as a councillor and has a strategic projects liaison role with Basketball Victoria. Peter, you've um, you've been around basketball for uh, longer than potentially some of our listeners have been alive. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into some of these questions. Thanks, Neil. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I must admit, when you uh, listen to the context of uh, the longevity of my involvement, it does seem a long time. But I think when you follow your passion, it goes so quick and it's so exciting day in, day out. I think that those of us who uh, live in, and work in the sports industry are really privileged to be able to pursue our hobbies as well as a professional career. So 30 years with basketball in Ballarat, Peter, and last weekend um, when we were recording this, I saw that at the under-18s, the facility legacy that I'm sure you're very proud of, and also ran into you in, in person. Um, what are some of the highlights of the of your 30 years with um, basketball in Ballarat, Peter? Yeah, look, I think first up, uh, what, one thing I would like to say, particularly for people who are aspiring to have careers in the sport is um, 30 years is an extremely long time in one career role as CEO. Uh, I was really uh, fortunate that in each chunk of five to seven years, there was a, a significant change in our organisation in either growth, diversity, um, you know, our focus of what we were doing. So I was always able to keep reinventing or re-educating myself on what I needed to do for the next stage. So uh, I suppose with that said, um, when I first came into uh, the role, um, as a, and this is prior to my professional career, um, we, were a little, we were a two-court stadium built in 1969, the same as any, you know, stadium around Australia. Um, a distinct advantage we had is we owned our own facility. Um, we were fortunate to be given the land um, in the 60s. And at that time, uh, we then had the opportunity to beg, borrow and steal to actually build the two-court stadium. Uh, and there were a number of times in the, you know, even through my tenure early career, where it was a, a, a borderline case of being viable to continue to do it without council support, without government support, and just do your own thing. I think then as I went through my career, Neil, it was very much a matter of um, one step at a time. We went from two courts to four courts um, and a strong focus was always on our club association structure and developing our broad membership base. Um, you know, we, in, in those days, we were probably at around 100 teams. Uh, you know, now we're between the five and 600 teams that play on a regular basis out of our facilities. Um, but going from two to four courts was a not only a step in, in the number of courts we had, it was a change in the thinking of the board and the staff to actually grow as an organisation and say, how do we become a leading indoor sports facility uh, and organisation within our regional community? 
we then diversified, this is late 80s, we diversified then into thinking we not only should service our members on the court, but off the court. So we looked at uh, having a licensed social club, having facilities for function rooms and those types of amenities that actually mean that you actually get the full value of your sport, not only, not only in recreation on the court, but the social interaction and engagement that comes, you know, if you're able to uh, move into um, a more social environment after the games. Particularly in Ballarat, it's not all that good to be going off court and, you know, uh, sitting courtside at 10 o'clock at night um, in, in the middle of winter. So we really recognise those sort of changes. You know, as time went on, we, we realised that we were going to outgrow the footprint of our current site and we had to make some big decisions about diversifying across Ballarat and hence the, uh, the starting point some 10 years ago of what you saw last week with the, the new Selkirk Stadium, or as it was formerly known, the Ballarat Sports and Events Centre. Um, that, that very much was a two-court netball centre that we leased um, uh, and took over a netball operation at the same time. So we not only ran basketball, we then, a condition of taking that on for council was that we would run the Netball Association in Winderee, which we agreed to do. Uh, and that was probably the first step of us diversifying our, our sporting interests as well. Um, I think the other highlights probably have been just watching the, the number of uh, athletes that have come through our venue over time. And many of them elite athletes. You know, you look over the year of, of Robin Maher and Ray Borner, right through and the privilege of seeing people like Paddy Mills, you know, many years ago playing at an under 18 Australian championship here. Um, Matt Delavadova, you know, who lived a stone's throw from Ballarat, those sort of people being in our community. Um, I think that's always been really, uh, really a positive influence and encouragement for the board and the association to always want to actually take another step in how we grow. We haven't stopped with, uh, with Selkirk Stadium, you know, that, that, that relationship now is not only a six-court, uh, three-thousand-seat show-court stadium venue. It also has a fully functioning strength and conditioning gym uh, that we actually uh, uh, sublease out to a private operator, but also services our elite programs. And we have a range of um, function areas and uh, learning centres where groups like University of the Third Age, um, Fed Uni, can use for classroom-based environment during the day. So. The whole thing we try and achieve is from when we open first thing in the morning to when we close at the end of the night, there's someone using the facility uh, in one way, shape or form. And, and having moved into that, we're also still obviously maintaining our own court, forecourt venue and operating that as well. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a thriving hub of the community, um, that's for sure. Um, Peter, through all that um, timeline you just gave us, obviously, you're just uh, one man, albeit uh, a very uh, accomplished man, but through that whole journey, I'm sure you had filled countless volunteer roles yourself within that um, journey, but also you would have managed a, a small army of volunteers to achieve those objectives. Can you just tell me some of the key things that um, across that time you learned about recruitment and support of volunteers in basketball that might that are lessons that probably, if not, are still relevant or potentially even more important now as clubs and um, organizations and associations kind of strive to get more volunteers involved post-pandemic. Um, post yeah, look, and I think that's a really important point, Neil, that uh, I think talking to a, a lot of clubs, um, not only in the basketball community, but more broadly across a range of sports that I'm involved with, um, it very much is a 
I think it's obvious that we've lost some of our longer term habitual volunteers, I would call people that just turn up because that's what they've always done. Some people have reassessed their values and what they need to do going forward, particularly older ones that have decided, well, maybe it is time for a break. And, and it's not that easy to connect with the, the next generation. Um, but I don't think the principles of volunteer recruitment have changed significantly. I think that um, some important things are, you know, valuing your volunteers, making sure that you recognise any contributions they make. And that's not monetary. It's not necessarily even by giving them a gift or anything like that. It's just a matter of having respect for their time, thanking them, acknowledging them in the right formats and opportunities when things come along, just to make sure that they feel comfortable. Also, simple things like uh, having uh, an outline of what you expect them to do. Um, most people are, are frightened to become a volunteer, particularly at a committee level, if you don't quite clearly specify what the scope of the role is. You know, the days where you could just say, do you want to come on the committee or will you come on the committee, I think are well gone. You need to be able to say, you know, we'll meet 10 times a year. We have this range of meetings. The meetings go for so long and your role within the committee will be this. I think if you can break things down into bite-sized chunks for people who can say, yes, I could fit that in, and I could, I'm happy to do that job and do it well, but then not have that fear of being burdened with everything else that comes with being on the committee. So I do think that uh, we've got to be uh, as professional as we can in structuring our committees and making sure that they clearly understand their roles and responsibilities. The same for staff. I, you know, I don't treat staff roles any differently than volunteers, other than the fact that our volunteer when they commit to do a job, I think there is an expectation they do it well, but only if we respect them, if we value them, and we actually give them a good outline of what you know what we expect of them. So, I still think that there is a uh, you know we our sport and many others won't survive without a good volunteer base, and it really is critical that we get back to younger people becoming involved as volunteers, not just waiting for them to stop playing or stop you know being actively engaged to say, will you volunteer your time? Yeah, that's that's really important. And some of the some of the I encourage anyone that's young that's probably never thought about it to to just think about the the different perspective that it can give them volunteering as well. Sometimes, um, I, I think that, yeah, I think Neil, what, I've had the privilege of mentoring a lot of young people over my career, um, be it university students, being athletes uh, coming through. Not so much from the court perspective but very much from you know, their, their role in life and, and being the best people they can as they come along. And, and I really think that you know, we have a real obligation to explain to young people the value of volunteerism, that, that you know, how they build networks out of that, how they build relationships, how they, they get contacts in the broader community. Uh, I often tell a story about a young referee we had who was a very good young bloke, um, refereeing on a master's senior competition night one Thursday night and uh, a player queried a decision, gave him a tech foul and the referee was um, probably a little, you know, he was exasperated and tired and probably then added a comment back to the player about his ability. Um, now, the next morning, that referee fronted up at one of the major national companies in Ballarat for uh, an accounting role. Uh, and uh, you wouldn't believe who was the interviewee was the uh, chap he gave the tech foul to the night before. <laughs> now, the good measure of that that person at the company was they rang me and said, well, they explained what had happened and said, what's this guy really like? Because he's quite talented in his professional, you know, his background. 
Uh, I said, yeah, not a problem. And they said, look, we thought so. I thought so, uh, in his words. He said, I think I just got him on a bad night. And I said, I'm absolutely sure you did. But that again, that network, that contact, that relationship, and, and understanding that from the moment you're a teenager, you're on display, and whatever you choose to do in the future is determined by how you behave and how other people see you. So, um, you know, I think it's really important if we can get young people into volunteering, get them engaged with our community, you never know where their job or career will come from. So it's not about them giving free time. It's a matter of them investing in their future. Yeah. You would have got long odds when I was a teenager that I'd be working for Basketball Australia when I was at university in Glasgow. I can tell you that for free. Um, well, I'm possibly not dissimilar. So, yeah, <laughs> I have been to Glasgow, so it's an interesting city. Yeah. Um, Peter, you, as I touched on in, in the introduction, you're now in a, in a new role as well with the Ballarat City Council where you will have an obligation to look at the basketball world through a very different lens to, to what you've spent a long time doing. And you probably have to have different communications now with the basketball community. What are some of the key takeaways from that change in perspective for you? And what are some things that basketball clubs and associations can do to build better links with their councils? Yeah, look, I think um, having watched council from the outside for probably 20 years and been actively involved in lobbying and um, key partnership relationships with our own council and regional councils around us probably for the last 10 years, um, the critical thing for me is for, and, and I speak on this a lot in Melbourne with Melbourne associations, is having a relationship with your local council, local government, local you know, community sector, um, and make sure that relationship is a positive one. Um, you really don't appreciate the value of a relationship until the time comes when you want to enter into a negotiation for a new venue or a new lease. It's, that's not the time to build a relationship. The time to build a relationship and show your interest in the community, engaging with multicultural communities, um, participating in council activities, it might be an annual fair or whatever, have your association involved. Because if you actually build that relationship and you're seen as part of the community, when you do have a, an opportunity to put forward an ask, be it a, you know, a, a new lease, be it a um, project jointly with council about a new facility, you want that solid foundation of the relationship and mutual trust so that people know, where you, you know what values you have, what you stand for, and how you, how you would uh, behave as an association if you were given uh, you know, opportunities that you perhaps don't otherwise have. So I really urge every association and every senior staff member and uh, board member to actually think about what their engagement is with the community, uh, not only the council or group, but certainly the senior staff in community wellbeing, in health and recreation, all those areas that they should know these people on a first name basis. Without um, asking you to reveal privileged information, Peter, and you've done a really good job so far, especially talking generically about councils and things, your role with um, Basketball Victoria has um, got a very overarching title of strategic projects. And I'm sure the what you're working on will be very consistent with um, pr projects of basketball organizations across the country. Can you tell me in your opinion, what some of those kind of strategic projects that basketball should be looking at over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, look, <laughs> I think um, probably the first thing I'd say, Neil, is that associations tend to focus on the end goal 
um, without actually thinking about where they're at in the mix of things. And, um, you know, people look at the new Selkirk Stadium you came into the other day uh, and think it happens overnight. Some people think that, you know, that's a two or three year project. Um, the reality of that project is we first had this vision in 1999. Um, in 2010 was uh, our first formal approach to council uh, to say we need money and we need land to build a new venue. Um, and then it was the 20, uh, 2014 state election, the 2018 state election, uh, and in the middle of that, a major federal government grant that gave us the 30 million we needed to put that venue together. And parallel to that, we we're working on a different site in Ballarat West at a school where we needed another 11 million to do another facility in that area. But that's the end game. One of the things that is really important to me and, and certainly working in particularly the Northwest Metro area of Melbourne, one of the critical things for me is having, I think it's sad and disappointing if, if the sport, be it the peak body, uh, you know, within each state is actually actively working and, and trying to secure new venues and new facilities, only then to have a, a situation where a local association hasn't been developed to the stage where they're a very viable contender to be a lead tenant or a venue manager. Um, I, my personal preference is for venues to have a venue management by an association or at least a significant lead tenant role in that association, in that uh, new facility, sorry. And, and the reason for that is very much that if it goes to a third party entity, then there's a, a degree of the, the income that comes out of our sport that's then siphoned off to run other businesses and other opportunities. So. I, not, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not maximising the return on investment back into our sport. But we've got to remember that the basketball is our product. We own the intellectual rights to our membership base. We should be putting them into facilities where we're going to get maximum advantage. Now, the downside at the moment is that a lot of associations focus on getting a facility or work on that, but they may not have developed their organisational structure and their governance structures to be adequate to actually run a good association. And some of those things I touched on earlier, engaging with the community, understanding your target market, you know, what, what is the multicultural base in your association and your local government area? Do we, does our percentage of membership from, you know, different communities, nationalities, represent uh, consistently with what the, the local government area is? Those sort of simple metrics to determine where you, where you are as an organisation, I think is very much critical to where we end up in our relationship in a new facility. So look, there's great opportunities, it's an exciting time. You know, I'm sure it's the same across Australia. Um, you know, at the moment within the five LGAs I work within, there's probably up to 25 court, potential for 25 new courts in the next five to seven years um, that'll be built across those uh, five local government areas. Um, now, parallel to that work, we're working very hard with associations to get them to a space where they're capable of being lead organisations. So there's a lot of work. Um, I, I love it. I, I'm only in it for a short term. This was uh, never, an, uh, when I retired, I didn't intend to be doing this work. Um, it's a bit by default um, through circumstance with Basketball Victoria and some very good and very capable staff that have had to, through health reasons or other reasons, have had to move to different areas or retire and um, I've been sort of plugging some holes but uh, I love the work and I just see so much potential for our sport um, and I say that across Australia it's not easy anywhere to get money but um, the right strategies and the right projects make all this stuff work.
they knew what they were doing when they offered you that life membership, Peter. They they knew that if they if they put that in front of you, they'd be able to call on you when required. Uh, possibly, possibly. Um, one of my greatest pleasures today is being the voluntary historian for Basketball Ballarat. So um, my, my hobby when I've got a little more time is to, uh, uh, we've had a great historian, Ron Holmes, who's a much older gentleman than me, that was really a mentor to me coming into the sport um, and probably one of the few people that could knock on my door anytime and didn't need an appointment to come and see me. But he was very much, um, he's done a terrific job with our history and uh, one of his aspirations was for me to take that on. So I'm really looking forward to that sort of stage in my life, returning to more a full-time volunteer uh, and having some input without getting in the road of the next generation of leaders within our association. It's our last question and we'll ask this to everyone that's um, come on. And obviously we've spent a lot of time today talking about volunteering and governance and all the very important parts of clubs that potentially aren't discussed, but we do obviously have a bit of a coaching um, focus along with our volunteer focus on this pod. So, and you're obviously a, a massive basketball fan. And this doesn't have to be basketball, it can be any sport um, and the person can be alive or dead. If you could ask any coach a question, who would it be and what would the question be? This is a pretty easy one for me. Uh, it'd be John Wooden, um, UCLA, um, a legend in college basketball. Um, one of the things he often said in the early days of our sport, and certainly following uh, him as a coach, was very much that a player that makes a team great is much more important than a great player. And I wonder today, with the focus on um, you know the media, particularly, and the focus now on the the marquee player. Uh, and how they fit within the various teams around the world, does he still have that same belief? Um, personally, I hope he does um, because it's all about the team, but um, it just seems there's been a monumental shift. So I'd like him to restate that in perhaps the modern world as something we should all aspire to. That's, a, that's awesome. And that would definitely be something I think that, um, yeah, that would, uh, that would be... Uh, a shifter, I think, in people's perspectives, depending on what um, John's answer was. So thank you so much for your time today, Peter. Good luck for all the um, strategic projects you, you're working on. And hopefully you uh, you get back to your um, Ballarat history um, sooner rather than later. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, mate.